know, just feeling uncomfortable when people make a big ooh ah thing about, you know, you're 18 and you're sober. And that made me feel like special. I don't want to feel special in AA, right? I want to just be a part of you. Afterwards, I got thinking about it. And after 24 years, I mm-hmm. hadn't realized how I was actually helping this continue on because I just said mine and left it. I never asked them what their sobriety date was. I kept it about me and I didn't go, okay, and how about you? How about you? Like, and put it back out. So that's like a new deeper thing because I don't like my ego. I can be even sober, you know, I don't like it. So that was kind of like a new depth I hadn't got to. I heard it through the grapevine. Welcome. It's the AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour. Featuring the collective voices of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm Don, an alcoholic in Greensboro, North Carolina. Hey, Don. Hey, everybody. I'm Sam, an alcoholic in Palm Springs, California. Sam, I'm about to really feel like an old timer. Coming up very soon will be my 70th birthday, belly button birthday. It's not going to be your sobriety birthday. I know that. But, you know, as far as recovery goes, that's different. But, you know, when I came in, I remember I, my sponsor's sponsor, I was introducing him to speak and he had 12 years and I said he was an old timer <laughs> and he was going old timer. I don't feel like an old timer. Of course, I've got 27 years and I don't feel like an old timer. It's one day at a time. But when I first came in, this was really important. The amount of time. It was. I needed those early chips and those mile markers. And they were a celebration. It was something to achieve at that moment to get that 30 day chip, that 60 or 90 day chip. So if, if you'll recall, I got sober in 2003 and that's when I had my last drink. But in 2012, I had a moment of clarity and found that using poppers and diet pills was not sober for me. And I reset my sobriety date. No, but yeah, poppers and diet pills, that's not AA, but you reset your AA. I reset my sobriety date because I only have one. And Mm -hmm. for me, what that boiled down to was I needed to do that so that I could look people that matter to me in in the eyes and with integrity, tell them that I was sober. And I hated it. I hated starting over. It was not a fun experience, but here's the thing. You know, I'm coming up on 10 years since that reset, Mm -hmm. but I don't feel like I've got 10 years. I feel like I've got 18 or 19 years. Well, well you do in that you have 19 years of sobriety experience. Uh, Exactly. Of experience. I've got that amount of time of practicing the principles of this program and trying to grow. The number is not as important to me as it once was. And I'm actually grateful for that because my measure of my sobriety today, how am I doing? Well, am I happy? If you're coming back from drinking again, then the chips and the emphasis on the chips work against you. Unlike the first time through, it was a goal to achieve. The second time through, it seems like it could be a slap in the face. It does. And it, it actually proves to be an obstacle for some people who are trying to come back, especially those who are just trying to get traction in the first place. So it's something, it's a conversation that I think should be had. You know, I remember going to the roundups and the conferences. I love going to those things. And almost every one of them does a sobriety countdown. Yeah. You know, I hated it when I reset my date. I absolutely loathed them. 
but I've been to one where this friend, this guy that I knew who had struggled and he had relapsed and he had picked up his new chip three or four days before that countdown was sitting by himself in the middle of this large room waiting for his day count to be called. What a horrible experience. Mm. I went and sat down with him because that was just, it wasn't, wasn't good. So yes, we do keep track, but that's not the focus. Yeah. I always like it when people give out the chips and they end it with who's got today. I like that a lot too. Sam, how can people send us a question for the old timer? Don, the easiest way to do that is just to pick up the phone and call 212-870-3418 and you record your message. That's 212-870-3418. Well, this month, the Grapevine Magazine includes Gail's story, who's our guest today, What's in a Number? Do we put too much importance on the amount of sober time we have? Also in the April issue is Tough Love. Should we applaud people who come back from relapse? There's a story about the importance of physical accessibility in meeting spaces and lots, lots more. Sober experience shared from Hawaii to Ontario to Connecticut. (laughs) Well, today we're talking with Gail and let's see what she has to say. I'm alcoholic Gail from Burlington, Ontario, and my home group is the New Freedom Group. I hesitate to ask, but when did you get sober? Um, I got sober in August 6th, 1997. You wrote an article for the grapevine. And uh, so what's in a number? Do we sometimes put too much importance on the amount of sober time we have? Let me read this last paragraph. So I say, forget the number of years sober. The number belongs to AA to show that the program works. But where we are today and what we do with those hours is our responsibility. Wow, that sounds really smart. (laughs) I love you. (laughs) I love you. Yes, I do agree (laughs) with that. (laughs) Yeah, I wasn't even uh, legal to drink here in Canada. It's 19 and I was 18 when I got sober. So when people respond to me, I get a lot of the oohs and ahs and it makes me very uncomfortable, (laughs) actually. I've had it where people get mad because they haven't had that experience. And uh, they get mad. Why? Because they were drinking when they had children and when they were older. So what I learned is that's them. Like I used to be like, oh, okay, I'm sorry. (laughs) Like, I don't think anything extra special happened for me at 18. I I just hit bottom like everyone else did. Mm -hmm. I just always say I didn't have a spiral down. I just had a straight line just down. Well, what was going on? Had you heard of AA before? Well, the typical, you know, AA, like men in trench coats and and stuff like that. I envision like AA as a place still of sickness where people are just not well still. I never knew it was a place of wellness. Never would we hear laughter in the room or anything like that. No, nothing like that. Yeah. In Canada, do AAs wear trench coats? Some of them do, but not everyone. (laughs) (laughs) So you did come in at a young age. Were there other people your age in the rooms? So at the time around where I I was the youngest, but there was other young people around like up into like 21 and stuff like that. I love the young people. There's like, um, I don't even, it's like a yippee-ki something or something like that. 
ICIPA, the International Conference of Young People in AA? Yeah, I think so. At the 2005 Toronto conference, they were here. The, all the young kids were jumping around, and that's when I learned I wasn't young anymore. <laughs> oh <my laughs> I, like, but, I love their energy and everything, but I just couldn't jump around with them. <laughs> uh, we can't keep up in that regard, but we're still welcome. That's one yeah. of the coolest things about young people in AA is, is Don, even at 70, you're welcome to be a part of YPO. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> and I find anyways, like, um, cause when I came here, the older guys, they were old and now it's been two decades later and they're still here and they're like old, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> but their spirits are so young and I don't mean like immature. I just mean like young and well, right? Young and well. So at a young age, you totally gave up and decided that you could not control your drinking anymore. How did you manage to do that? Um, it wasn't like, I got to stop drinking. It was like, I got to stop living <laughs> more like. And when I first read that first step, like uh, life was unmanageable. What I heard was like, life was unbearable, unlivable. Like I was thinking about mm -hmm. all the inside stuff because I was 18, mm -hmm. right? I didn't have a car, a house, kids, all that stuff. But for a long time, even before I picked up a drink, like alcoholism was in me, I believe. Restless, irritable, discontent. When I read that in the big book. That's like my first memory. I don't ever recall not feeling that way. And that's even before drinking. So I was so unwell that I didn't realize that drinking was a thing that was like keeping it going and not allowing me to get well at all. So it was more that, more not knowing how to be and not realizing that drinking was stopping me from learning how to be until I went to a treatment center. And then I started being able to relate to the things that people were saying when they could articulate what I could not at that time. You know, Gail, several times you've, you've mentioned the word well and unwell, and I, I love that that's a part of your message uh, because, you know, so many of us, I, including me, came in, I didn't know I was sick. I thought I was broken. I thought that there was absolutely something wrong with me, well, but not, <laughs> yes, but not that there was a chance to get well and be well and really enjoy living. Mm -hmm. How did you approach working the steps did you have trouble with the steps when you first came in well maybe you'd have to ask my first sponsor that <laughs> i don't think <laughs> let's get your sponsor on here <laughs> we've got your sponsor here online <laughs> maybe you'd have those other people i i don't think I did. I mean, I did the best of what a newcomer could do. I had nothing left in my life. Like I graduated high school in sobriety. So I had stopped going to high school, you know, it was getting in the way of the partying and drinking, like no friends, just bare thread of family, letting me live with them still. So I was fortunate. I didn't feel like it at the time, but I had the gift of time. And uh, all I could do at the time, as many meetings as there was around here, I went to like 11 meetings a week. One time I went to like Friday night, I go to one meeting and then get dropped off at another meeting afterwards. So I was able to just completely immerse myself in it. Like a, I'm very visual. So like a wooden table. And I used to have this deep, deep groove of how I used to be. And I'm now jumping out, trying to make a new one. So in that six months of treatment, it helped me start to really get a new groove going. So when I came back, I knew like meetings and, and sponsor and all that stuff. So I just literally threw myself into it. I had nothing else to do. <laughs> you didn't struggle with writing an inventory, with talking about uh, the things that you had done with another person? 
I don't think I struggled with it. I was able to do the best I could at the time. I could go as far as like how many layers down, you know, and just sort of admitting a lot of the surface things. And mm-hmm. um, it wasn't until later on the years where, you know, my sponsor would have to ask why we go like three layers of why down. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't know. You know what? Someone early on had said to me, I was sharing in a meeting and I was just like, I didn't know I was recycling these words. I was just like, oh, if I drink again, I'll die, you know, and I don't want to die. And he said, you know, you say this, but realistically, let's think what's going to happen. If you take a drink, are you going to drop dead right there? And I was like, well, probably not. He said, well, if you take a drink, what is probably guaranteed to happen is all that inside unmanageability and turmoil you lived with will come back. And I was like, oh, hell no, (laughs) I do not (laughs) want that to happen. Um, So I always had that in my head. So it was either, it was like a rock and a hard spot, either do this uncomfortable inventory, these amends, or go back to how it was, right? So I'm really glad that man said that to me. He made it real for you. Indeed. And, And that's that thing that was impossible for me to see when I was still drinking. Because drinking felt like the solution. It felt like it was making things tolerable. So I couldn't even begin to make that choice. I didn't like the expression to drink is to die at all. And I thought it was hyperbole. And I kind of thought it was like gaslighting and A's, like making this really scary so that I will quit drinking. You know, I just didn't, I didn't trust it. I love the explanation that you you shared with that, Gail, because I think that that's probably a common experience for most of us. Also too, like realistically, if I'm being honest, death didn't scare me. But misery. Yeah, (laughs) I would have guidance counselors in my school saying, if you keep going this way, you're going to die. And I would appropriately cry. Oh, okay. But really inside that didn't scare me. Um, That sounded like another solution (laughs) to the pain, right? So, but to continue living that way, no thanks. Like I know they say there's three things for alcoholics, but I always say there's four. So there's jails, there's death, there's institutions. And then my one, I always say there's the living dead. And that would be Mm. me as a dry drunk or drinking and still being physically alive again. And I'm like, no, thank you. Well, what is it like today? (laughs) What is it like today? Well, I no longer waking up being disappointed that I slept through and made it through the night. (laughs) I used to do that. Like, I don't have that worry. I have so many real true connections. Like before I couldn't do that. People would say, oh, look at the beautiful sunset or the things. And I could see they felt that inside and and I respond appropriately again. Oh yeah, beautiful. But it didn't like stick to me inside. Yeah, we're great actors, aren't we? Yeah. But now I do like I have that and I don't just have it when I'm talking to you guys or at a meeting. Like I have it alone by myself. I still feel that it's real. It's true. I've been able to become a mother three times over to three boys and get married. And you know what, when I was drinking, I had like one long weekend of memories that just repeated over and over again. Mm. But I have 24 years of experiences and goals and and things that I've done and people I've met and places I've gone to, like I've been able to live a life. I've had way more stuff happen in sobriety (laughs) than in drinking. I mistakenly thought that, oh, you know, I'm in AA, like these life things won't affect me um, at all or as much because I got, you know, higher power, big book, meeting sponsor. (laughs) And that is not the case. So the principles and the skills that the program has taught me has helped me in other places in my life, like literally save my life, uh, mental health struggles, career decisions, child rearing, all that stuff. It gave me a basis as simple as I was thinking today when I had my first 
Um, I didn't know what to do. What did I do? I reached out and found other people who had first children the same age and found a fellowship. Hmm, I wonder where I learned that from, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. When I was having a hard time, mental health, hard time last year, really, really bad, really, really dark, had never experienced that before. And I just kept trying different things, outside help, all the things. And I kept what I felt not working. And there was this little voice in my head that said, keep, keep doing it till it works. Keep doing it. Like keep until the miracle happens. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So like, it really has infiltrated its way into all places in my life. That's it. That's experience mm -hmm. uh, speaking is. and not giving up. It's easier for me now when I go into like what I call the valley of despair. If something hits me and, and it just seems like there's no end to this and I can't stand this feeling, I can't get out of it and I've got it to where I've gone. I don't feel a connection to a higher power. AA is not working yet. I will not give up on AA. I'll not give up on my morning prayer and meditation. And I'll not give up on my gratitude list that I write every day and share with my sponsees because I know that these things work. It's happened before a couple of times in times of great pain, and I've gotten through it. So have you got an example of getting through something using the tools of recovery now? Well, I guess my most recent one, yeah, was my hardest time last year. Like I said, I was going through different like mental health issues and, and never had the experience waking up in panic attacks already. My body just like with everything that happened, it was a combination of many different things, a buildup. And apparently AA doesn't stop you from being human. <laughs> me as a human. So yeah, it was that I had become actually very like suicidal in my thoughts and just how I was thinking, how I was feeling, like how I felt so heavy and down and stuff. And I was very sad because I knew that wasn't me. I knew that I was a happy, joyous and free person because the program with all the cleaning out of the fourth and fifth, continuing on, you know, clearing my path with eight, nine and doing my 10th. Um, normally I could tell you who Gail was. And I knew that this was not me. And so to reach out and to help and the people, the other professionals that were helping me, they were like, hey, because I'm in the, in the healthcare profession as well. She said, you know, if you don't want to be in a healthcare helping group in your area, we can put you somewhere else. People are where they run into clients and stuff. And I knew I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. Like I knew that wasn't the most important thing. Like my wellness was the most important thing, which is what the program has shown me where I just show up. Whoever's there is there. I've run into the last boyfriend that I dated while drinking there. I've run into people I used to hang out at high school in, in meetings and stuff. You know what I mean? And that doesn't, it doesn't matter. So practically, <laughs> what were you doing? So what was I doing to help my, I was praying and I wasn't praying to God because I was pretty mad at God. Mm -hmm. So I remember, like I said, I couldn't even say the word God. And so I said, I don't, I don't feel a connection to that right now. And, and someone said, what do you feel a connection to? And I said, well, love, because I thought of my children in that feeling. So she's like, pray to love. So I would do that. I would pray to love. I would tell, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly and the awesome, let it all out and just be honest. Tell, I always tell my kids, tell the truth, even if it's bad news, because you guys taught me that right? Mm -hmm. I'm trying to put as much as I could out into the light. That's what the program taught me to. You put it out into the light, you talk it out, you cry it out, you journal it out, um, all those things. 
and just putting one foot in front of the other, like one moment at a time. I couldn't even do this too shall pass because I had no idea how long this was going to continue on for because I'd never experienced it before. And instead, um, I saw this article and it it was talking about this too shall pass. And from where I am and where it's going to be was too far to connect. But it was talking about it'll be different. And to me, that kind of brings it more into the moment. Like my morning could be different than the afternoon, you know, Mm -hmm. stuff like that. The program had ingrained in me just integrity and caring for others, not wanting my children to suffer from, for how I was feeling and would get up and do stuff that way. Like, I remember laying in bed just to stop this crazy in my head that was happening. And I just said the serenity prayer over and over and over. I might've said it for like an hour. I don't know until I fell asleep. Oh, um, I've done that because I just oh so uncomfortable in my skin and that really sucks when you're so uncomfortable in your skin and you can't drink or you're choosing not to drink because like for as far as I was concerned I had these roads I could pick I could go down the drinking road which I knew was going to be hell and horrible because I know that the idea that I can drink like others has been smashed and I know where it's leading or I can continue down this this other hell path <laughs> of how I'm feeling and not knowing where it's leading. That's what I felt like my two choices were. So I really had to bring it into the moment and just do the next right thing with the program talks about. And it was really hard. I tried to stay connected instead of isolating because that's what the disease wants for me, right? That's what alcoholism wants mm-hmm. me alone in the dark rather than with others in the light. So as best as I could, I was doing that. How do you decide what the next right thing is? How do I decide? Well, sometimes the next right thing is like, well, get out of bed and brush your teeth. Mm -hmm. Now, what do you need to do? Okay, well, it's morning. You should probably have breakfast. I remember I actually did that. I I pulled on many different experiences I had during this time last summer with the early sobriety because I came home from treatment, still like didn't have school, didn't have a job, kind of didn't just besides meetings. And I would, I would like, okay, get up. Yeah. Have breakfast. Okay. Well maybe you should shower and get dressed for the day. Okay. And then literally like God would take over. Something would happen. I was living at home with my mom and sister. My mom would be like, Hey, want to do something. Someone would call about whatever, or I'd finally get a chance to watch the movie I wanted to watch. Like something would happen. Um, And early on pretty much, I remember saying prayers and this is sort of what I did last summer too, was I was like, Hey God, I will move today. And that's the only thing I got for you. I'm not going to do it happy or grateful or joyously or by help helping others, but I will just continue to move. Mm -hmm. And that's it. That's all I'm offering, which in the end was a big thing. Cause before, you know, someone looked at me sideways on a Sunday and I'd be in bed all week, not going to work. Right. Like I wouldn't even move. Well, so so something that just totally hit me while you were talking about that, you, you said something would happen. But you had gotten out of bed, you had brushed your teeth, you had eaten some breakfast, you had gotten dressed, you were ready. So you, yeah. even though it was the basics, you had done the basics and it made it so that you were ready when mm-hmm. something happened. And wow, I mean, what a great way to live. I'm ready when something presents. Yeah. Yeah. And before I wouldn't have done any of those things, right? Everything, life would come to a screeching halt. So if you're ever in a place where you're like, I'm just, all I got for you, God, is I'm going to move. Like I said, I wasn't yeah. going to be a nice person about it. <laughs> I was like, I'm yeah. not going to be nice and friendly. Yeah. I'm just going to move. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but that was big. That's like half the battle right there, which I didn't even know. Also, like you can pray with exactly where you are. And I mean, I've been mad. I've prayed and I don't believe in this, but I'm praying anyway. Mm. Keep me sober today. 
and then turn my focus to what's the next thing that I can do. Those tools that we learn when we first get sober, I mean, breaking it up one day at a time. I can't handle one day. I'm going to break it up into one minute at a time. I remember that. I could barely get through an hour. I felt like I was going to blow up when I first quit drinking. And I just was like going, okay, can I stay sober for the next minute? <laughs> yeah. Halt was a really big, the slogan halt was really big for me too. And what's that stand for? Hungry, angry, lonely, tired, or thirsty. I had two T's. My first sponsor always did that. <laughs> okay. Um, and it kind of gave me some focus, especially early in sobriety, but especially last year when I couldn't even focus myself too, right? And I was like, what should I do? Well, I'm hungry. And I could go through those things. Mm-hmm. And then, and that would be an adventure in itself. Well, I am, I'm hungry. All right. Head down to the kitchen. There's other people there. There's, you know, hey, I'm going to turn on the radio while I'm, while I'm making something. Yeah. Like you said, the ball gets rolling, right? And stuff happens. That's really cool. So how do you measure your sobriety today? Um by asking other people how I am. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I learned that from my mom and sister. The first year I was like getting my car and moving out. And I was like, that was like the best year. And I was living with them and finally moved out. And they said, that was the worst time living with you. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I was doing this and this and this. She's like, yeah, but you were like a bull in a China shop. If we got in your way of you doing that, that, and that. So I don't know how I think I am and how other things I am. I think... <laughs> Anne Lamont says, when people ask her how she's doing, I'm doing a lot better than I think I am. (laughs) Yeah, and even that too. Yeah, yeah. Indeed. (laughs) Gail, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a real pleasure getting to know you a bit. Thanks, Gail. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for talking with you guys. Welcome. How may I help you? Hey, can I have a cheeseburger and some fries? Sir, this is a library. Oh, Oh, I'm sorry. Can I have a cheeseburger and some fries? (laughs) (laughs) It's really not that funny. Thanks for joining us. The AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour is posted every Monday and is produced by AA Grapevine, Inc. We don't speak for AA as a whole. We share the experience, strength, and hope of members to help others recover from alcoholism. Podcast info, including how to call in, is at aagrapevine.org slash podcast. Find AA Grapevine on Instagram and the AA Grapevine channel on YouTube. All things Grapevine are available at aagrapevine.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city or visit aa.org.